In the book of Zechariah, chapter 13, from which we read earlier, in verse number 9, there's a statement made concerning what the Lord will do for his people. And that is that he will act as a refiner of those people. Here are the words, and I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. It's a verse that's reminiscent of a partner verse in the book of Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 3, just over the page. It says of the Lord, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. That, it means in order that, they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. In the scriptures there are some wonderful pictures of the relationship that exists between the Lord and his people. I'm sure you can think of some of them. For example, in 1 John 3 verse 1 we read, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. There you have the picture of the Father and the Son or the child. Beautiful picture. Of course there's that which is brought before us in Psalm 23. The shepherd's psalm. And again, in the New Testament version of that, which is John chapter 10, where the Lord says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. You have that relationship between God and his people, between Christ and his people, that is in terms of a shepherd and his sheep. Once again, you can think of the hymn that we sing. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. That's taken directly from Scripture. From Jeremiah chapter 18, where the Lord speaks of himself as the potter, in whose hands we are the clay that he shapes and molds as he chooses. And then there's perhaps the most beautiful picture of all, which is that which is depicted in Christian marriage. The relationship between the bridegroom and his bride. I've thought a lot about that in recent days. I've been married to the same woman for 42 years. Marriage is a beautiful picture of the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. We're actually called in the book of Revelation the bride of the lamb, the lamb's wife. In heaven there's going to be a great supper. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. So God's people are the bride, the church. He is the bridegroom. And in Ephesians chapter 5 and other portions, you see this beautiful picture outlined. But here in Zechariah 13, there's a different analogy employed. It is of a refiner, somebody who works with metals and the actual material with which he works. In this instance, it refers to silver, but it also goes on to say, and will try them as gold is tried. Isn't it interesting that these two precious metals are normally mentioned together? Gold and silver, or silver and gold? 
when Peter encountered that man who was lame from his mother's womb. He brought the gospel to him and he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. You see, when the Lord's talking about the preciousness of the blood of Christ, Peter uses the term that we're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. They're always brought together. Silver, gold, because they're precious metals. And the refiner works with precious metals. But he has a purpose in mind for the precious metal. And we're going to get into that today. You see, in God's dealings with his people, there's a tremendous similarity to the work of a metal refiner upon the metal, be it silver or gold. And there are a number of thoughts that are brought before us in this particular analogy that I trust will be of help to us as the Lord's people. They certainly have been to me. In the first place, as we talk about a refiner and the metal that he works with, we have in this picture a revelation of the refiner's heart. The refiner has in his mind, in his heart, a goal. He has an aim, he has an objective for that precious metal. It means something to him. And he has a picture in his mind as he's going to work with the silver or the gold of exactly what he wants that metal to become. Before he ever puts it into the crucible, which is a little instrument that they use to put metal in, put it into a furnace and it becomes molten. Before he ever puts the metal into the furnace, in his mind he has a purpose. He has a thought. He has a goal in mind for that, if it be silver or if it be gold. And let me tell you, the Lord has a definite plan in mind for each one of us as his people. I do not believe the Lord just deals with his people en masse. Sometimes we think that way about the church. It's, It's the invisible church, all the people of God in all ages, from the beginning of time to the end of time, this great mass of humanity that he has redeemed. But can I just remind you that there is a personal relationship between each one of those believers and the Lord. And the Lord doesn't just love us collectively. He doesn't just care for us en masse. He loves us each and every one individually, personally. And so when I say to you this morning, God has a plan for you, I really mean that. He has a plan for you. Yes, for you. So therefore, in that sense, you should forget about everyone else that's in the room under the sound of my voice and just think about yourself for a moment. What is God's plan for me? Does he have a plan for me? Well, he certainly does. He most certainly does. And as we think about this wonderful picture, there's the purpose that comes before us. The refiner of silver... Or any precious metal for that matter, he has a twofold objective. The first purpose that he has 
is to reveal the impurities in the metal. To reveal the impurities. To have those impurities to show up in that molten mass of metal. When he puts it into the crucible, he puts it into the furnace, and the heat gets to it and it becomes liquid. There's that which we would refer to as scum. I'm not talking about people. I'm speaking about the material that floats to the surface of the metal. Impurities. Imperfections. It's called, in terms of metal, the dross. The dross rises to the surface. You know why it rises to the surface? Because of the application of the heat. And you will find as a believer, when the heat comes on in your life, that the dross starts coming to the surface. And you start having hard thoughts about the Lord, perhaps. You might not say certain things. You may not articulate those things, but they're in your mind. They're in your heart, and you're questioning. And you're wondering why. That's the Lord revealing to you. The dross that's in your heart. The purpose of the metal worker is to get that dross to the surface. To to reveal the impurities. But the second part of his purpose is to remove the impurities. To get rid of them. See, he wants to actually get that metal to the place where, as it's molten, he can skim off the dross from the surface. The useless elements in that molten metal. He can scrape it off the top. And by the way, he will do that repeatedly. He will keep doing that. And he'll just apply the right amount of heat for that scum to keep coming to the surface. And he'll keep on scraping it off. The nearest thing I can think of in terms of domestic life would be if you make a certain meal... Say it's with beef. And there's a lot of fat content in that beef. You know yourselves that when you render that meat down and then you let it cool, all that white stuff on the top. You know what that white stuff is? That's fat. And you have to scrape that off if you're going to have a, a proper, more healthy meal. It's the same way with the metal here. There has to be a skimming off of the dross, the useless elements in that molten metal. It's taken off the top so that it might leave behind it pure metal only. And you see this repeatedly in the references to what happens to the silver. Notice here it says in our text, Zechariah 13.9, And will refine them as silver is refined. And keep your finger there and go back to the psalm, uh, Psalm 12, and you notice verse 6. Psalm 12 and verse number 6. There we read, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. You see this. The refiner has worked over and over and over and over on this silver to make it more and more pure. 
That's his objective. That's his purpose. That he might have pure material, pure metal. The words of the Lord are pure words. The analogy used is of the silversmith refining the metal, taking out the impurities to leave only that which is pure. That's his objective. The objective of God for you and I is purity. That we might be holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And sometimes the way in which the Lord produces sanctification in us is by a painful experience. It's like the refiner with the metal. See, the Lord has a purpose for His children. You see it again in Malachi 3, verse 3. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them. There's a cleansing here. As gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. His, his design is purity, holiness. And so trials come and they show us our own sins and our faults. And they're shown to us that they might be removed out of our lives. See, this is what God wants. He wants you and He wants me to know our faults and our impurities. And He can reveal them to us. He does so by the application of His Word. We call it conviction. Whenever David was spoken to by the prophet using that parable, that story about the little lamb that was killed, When David thought, what a terrible thing that was for that man to do. What a ridiculous person that is. And the prophet put his finger under his nose and said, Thou art the man. This is you, David. That's conviction of sin. When the Lord is saying to you, this is you. But I'm telling you now in my word, that's you. I'm pointing that out to you. Look at Psalm 19 and verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. The Lord wants the impurities to be taken out of our characters. He wants to show us our sinfulness. And he will do as we read his word. See, the Bible is described in terms of being a mirror. You know what happens when you look in the mirror? You start to see the imperfections. Oh, didn't know my hair looked like that. What hair I have left. I didn't know it looked like that. Oh, there's a dirty mark on my face. I didn't realize that was there. The mirror shows you exactly who you are, what you are. That's what the Bible does. It is as a mirror. It's the perfect law of liberty that reveals to us what we are. And we should be praying like the psalmist in Psalm 139. At the end of that great passage, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The Lord can reveal the impurities to us. 
But he doesn't just reveal them to us, he has a desire to remove them from us. He wants to remove them from us. Be holy, for I am holy. This is what's in the heart of our great refiner. He wants to purge and purify our lives and our hearts. This is his purpose for us. But as well as the purpose that reveals to us the refiner's heart, there's the process. And there is a process. Silver, and indeed gold, is brought into a more pure state by a process which involves fire. It involves heat. The metal, as we've already indicated, is placed in a little receptacle called a crucible. It's placed above the flame in the furnace. And when intense heat is introduced to that furnace, it makes that hard metal molten. It makes it into liquid. And then the impurities and the dross rise to the top. What would happen without the fire and the heat? Well, nothing. Nothing happens without the fire and the heat. The metal can't be purified without the application of the heat. If the refiner wants pure metal, he has to subject it to the fire. Someone wrote, he sat by a fire of sevenfold heat. As he watched by the precious ore, and closer he bent with a searching gaze as he heated it more and more. He knew he had ore that could stand the test, and he wanted the finest gold to mould as a crown for the king to wear set with gems with a price untold. So he laid our gold in the burning fire that we fain would have said him nay. And he watched the dross that we had not seen and it melted and passed away. And the gold grew brighter and yet more bright. But our eyes were so dim with tears We saw but the fire, not the master's hand, and questioned with anxious fears. Yet our gold shone out with a richer glow, as it mirrored a form above, that bent o'er the fire, the one seen by us, with a look of ineffable love. Can we think that it pleases his loving heart to cause us a moment's pain? Ah, no, but he saw through the present cross the bliss of eternal gain. So he waited there with a watchful eye with a love that is strong and sure. And his gold did not suffer a bit more heat than was needed to make it pure. You know, our Father, who seeks to perfect us in holiness, knows the value of the refiner's fire. Someone wrote, it is with the most precious metals that the assayer takes the most pains and subjects them to the hot fire because 
such fires melt the metal, and only the molten mass releases its alloy or takes perfectly its new form in the mold. The old refiner never leaves his crucible, but sits down by it, lest there should be one excessive degree of heat to mar the metal. But as soon as he skims from the surface, the last of the dross, and sees his own face reflected there, he puts out the fire. That's a quotation from A.T. Pearson. You know, the Lord reveals and he removes much of the dross from Christians' lives by a process. Peter talked about it in 1 Peter 1 verse 7. He referred to this business of the Lord using trials to purify his people. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, there it is, there's the work of the refiner and the furnace, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. As it takes great heat to refine the silver, we ourselves have to go into the crucible of fiery testing in order that we might be purified. The Lord tells us in Isaiah 48 verse 10 that he has chosen us in the furnace of affliction. That's the very text. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. C.H. Spurgeon, the great preacher in London, suffered greatly through his life from various maladies. He talked about it sometimes. And he actually did a devotional on Isaiah 48.10, in which he said, This text, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction, has long been the motto fixed before our eye upon the wall of our bedroom. And in many ways it has also been written on our heart. It's no mean thing to be chosen of God. God's choice makes chosen men choice men. Better to be the elect of God than the elect of a whole nation. So eminent is this privilege that whatever drawback may be joined to it, we, are, we very joyfully accept it, even as the Jew ate the bitter herbs for the sake of the Paschal Lamb. Spurgeon said, we choose the furnace since God chooses us in it. We are chosen as an afflicted people and not as a prosperous people. Our, our friend who talks about your best life now might want to read that. We're chosen as an afflicted people, not a prosperous people. Chosen not in the palace, but in the furnace. In the furnace, beauty is marred, fashion is destroyed, strength is melted, glory is consumed, and yet here, eternal love reveals its secrets and declares its choice. So has it been in our case, Spurgeon said. In times of severest trial, God has made to us our calling and election plain. And we have made it sure. Then have we chosen the Lord to be our God. And he has shown that we are assuredly his chosen. Therefore, if today the furnace be heated seven times hotter, we will not dread it. 
For the glorious Son of God will walk with us amid the glowing coals. As I said earlier, it's interesting that the filth rises to the surface when the heat is applied to the metal. How often our real character emerges when the heat of testing is upon us. And there's often a great need in such times for a lot of confession of sin when trials are upon us, because the Lord shows us our hearts. But there's also a need for patience and calm trust in the Lord, because He still still loves us. He still loves us. See, that's something that the devil wants to rob us of, is the assurance of the love of God. I had a conversation with June the other night in which it became very clear to me that the devil was attacking her. This is the most spiritual woman I know without peer. And yet she's feeling I must have a spiritual problem because I don't experience right now the peace of God. And we talked together about the scriptures, read some wonderful promises. And we were reflecting on the fact that when Bunyan wrote his Pilgrim's Progress, he referred to Christian going over the river that final time before he got to the celestial city. And as he was in the midst of the river, he felt that he was going to drown That was a final attack of the evil one and hopeful was there to remind him that he was the Lord's, that he would make it to the other side, that the Lord himself would take him there. And it's great that the Lord comes in times like that that and, and speaks his promises into our hearts. But if we could always understand that it's in the heart of the refiner to do what's best for the metal, we have trouble believing that. But he does, he wants it to be as good as it can be. And so the crucible and the heat and the furnace are necessary. It's in the heart of God to benefit us and to do what will be to our profit. See, the thing about the fire is it doesn't destroy, it just refines. It doesn't destroy. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. We're to be brought through the fire, not left in it. Hallelujah. The Lord values his people as silver or gold and therefore he is at great pains to purge away the dross. And if we are wise, we will welcome the refining process rather than seek to reject it or decline it. I want to speak secondly here, quickly, about the regulation of the refiner's hand. We've hinted at this already. If you go to the verse in Malachi 3, it speaks further of the work of the refiner in that it talks about him sitting. Now the picture here is of the metal worker at the mouth of the furnace. He opens the door of the furnace. 
He puts the crucible and the metal inside to the heat and he sits at the mouth of the furnace and looks through that glass where he can see the crucible and he can see what's going on with the metal. He's watching it. He's observing it. That's why it says, he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He doesn't move. He doesn't go away and leave it. He's there with his eyes on it all the time. The refiner is one who is concentrated on his work. Notice his concentration. He's always paying close attention to the job at hand. Ever watching the process of refining that's taking place. Looking at the metal as it's melting. Watching as the scum rises to the surface. Concentrating on his work. He's fully invested in it. And the Lord as a refiner of his people is ever watchful over us. He concentrates on the process of our refinement. There's a verse in Psalm 34. It's verse number 15. And this is what it says. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. The metal that's being melted, that's being Subjected to the heat of the fire, his eyes are upon it. God knows all about our troubles. The Lord never ceases to concentrate upon you. Psalm 139 makes that clear. There's not a thought in your head, there's not a word in your tongue, but the Lord knows all about it. There was a woman called Hagar one time, and she felt that she was forsaken except she was able to say, Thou God seest me. In all the circumstances of your life, the Lord is looking upon you and He knows all about your feelings. And when you feel that nobody else knows and nobody else really cares, nobody else really understands, He knows, He cares, He understands, He shares in our afflictions. There's a verse in the Old Testament that actually says this, in all their afflictions, He was afflicted. Remember when when Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus appeared to him. He didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why persecutest thou me? Because Christ is identified with his church. See, we are his body. He takes it personally. He does. Anything that happens to you or to me, he takes it personally. And I say that with all reverence. He not only sympathizes with us as we pass through the furnace, He's right there with us. He's right there with us. Isaiah 43 verse 2 tells us that when thou passest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. That wonderful story of Hananiah, Azariah and Mishael, the ones we often call Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, the heathen names. Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace. He said, I thought there, I thought there were three. Did we, didn't we put three men in there? There's a fourth one. In the form of the fourth, it's like the Son of God. That was the Son of God. He was right there in the fire with them. 
That's why Job could say, Job 23 verse 10, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Notice not only his concentration, but his consideration. His hand regulates the process of refining. He's careful to apply the right amount of heat and to keep the heat on for just the right amount of time. Because you see, he considers what's best for the metal. Oh, as the hymn says, if we could see beyond today, as God does see. That's our problem. We don't see things as God sees. We see it from our human standpoint. It doesn't make sense. It's the tapestry again. You look at the underside, it's a mass of threads and knots, and it doesn't make any sense. The Lord's looking at the picture on the other side. He's putting that picture together. And so sometime, sometime we'll understand. What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. The Lord sits, as it were, regulating our trials, our temptations, and our afflictions. He knows just how much heat we can take. I'm preaching to myself this morning. He knows just how long to apply the heat. But the great thought is that afflictions are always tempered by the mercy of the Lord. Always. And it's because he loves us that he permits us to endure the testing of the fire and the crucible. Just uh, study sometime Hebrews 12. And what it says there about chastisement. But how that the Lord does what he does, not vengefully, but for our profit. That's it. For our benefit, for our profit. We can't see it. We don't understand how that could be. But it's true. The Bible says it. Why does the refiner bother to purge gold and silver? Because they're precious. That's why. They're precious metals. I know that we can understand the value to God that we are. How valuable we are to Him. That's why He puts us into the furnace. That's why he puts us in the furnace. Because he loves us so much. We are exceedingly precious to him. And so he's going to be very careful and show tremendous consideration as he refines us. There's no temptation that has taken you, the Bible says, but such as is common to man. But God will, with the temptation, with the trial, make a way to escape not that you get away from it, but that you may be able to bear it. That's it. See, the Lord doesn't say, well, I'm going to take away the pain. No. I've had people already in anticipation of my becoming a widower say to me, the Lord will help you. And I know He will. The Lord will be with you. And I know He will. But I don't believe for one minute that there won't be any grief. I don't believe for one minute that that will in any way lessen the pain. 
Because there's a process that you have to go through. You have to feel pain. You have to feel grief. And there's nothing wrong with that. God created the tear ducts in my eyes just like yours. So I'll know through my tears the Lord is with me. Yes, He is. But He's not going to take the pain away. He's going to be right there with me when I'm enduring it. That's it. He'll be there. He'll be there with me. Just as He has with others. And my own dear wife, I love her with all my heart. She told me, the Lord will help you. The Lord will help you. And that is my conviction. There's a final thought here. And it's the realization of the refiner's hopes. See, the the refiner purges the metal. He purifies the silver or the gold as the case may be. And he does so in order to get to the place where he's satisfied with it. All the heat, all the skimming off of the dross is toward this great end. Not only of the purity of the metal, but purity that will please the refiner. It's for his glory. It's for his praise. It's for his honor. You know, all the dealings of the Lord with his people are necessary Because they are toward the great end of our perfection. God is the great refiner. Every single day, He's purging, He's purifying our lives. And that refining is going to take place continuously on this earth. Because none of us will be perfect until we're glorified. And when you take your last breath on earth... And whatever it is, the experience of being in heaven, I have no idea what that is. But I know that that will be perfection. No sin. No pain. No suffering. No tears. Just look at all the no mores that are in heaven. Tremendous study that. No more tears. No more crying. No more sickness. No hospitals. Oh, there'll be nurses in heaven, but they won't have anything to do. There'll be doctors there. No, no surgeries will be taking place. Thank God, perfection awaits. But this perfection is not going to come until the refining is done. And we're not perfect until we're glorified. So here's a process that you have to get used to. It's continually going on in your life. And all the different experiences that you have, whether they be sickness or bereavement, if you live long enough, you'll experience that. You will lose people that you love out of your life because you're living on and they're passing on. All of those things are part of God's purpose to bring about the satisfaction of his heart. See, every day we're being conformed to the image of God's Son until we're perfectly like Him in heaven. What's that going to be like? We wish we were more like Jesus, don't we, here on the earth? We wish we were. But we're not. But we will be. I've told this many times, Spurgeon was friendly with Andrew Bonner of Scotland. And it was in those days when photography was just sort of taking off, becoming a thing, and Spurgeon wrote to Bonner, he said, Andrew, I'd like you to send me your likeness. Photograph. So he sent it to Spurgeon with a little note attached. 
said, this is my likeness. But I want to tell you, it's nothing like I'm going to be. Because he said, when we see him, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. What a thought. Perfectly like Christ. It has been said that a good refiner keeps on working, keeps on removing every blemish, every spot of dross, until in that molten metal, he can see the reflection of his own face. He looks at it and his own image is looking back at him. Isn't that what the Lord is doing with us? For 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that we, looking into the perfect law of liberty, looking into the Lord's word, we're becoming like Christ. Being changed into the same image, even from glory to glory, by the Spirit of the Lord. Our trials are serving to make us more like our Savior. That's why they're necessary. That's why they're needful. In order to make us get rid of the dross in our lives. It's the will of God to purge us like the sons of Levi. So that we will be pleasant unto the Lord. We're not always going to be in the furnace. That's a great thought. When Jesus comes, our trials and our afflictions will be forever past. There's a hymn that speaks to that. In fact, there's a lot of hymns that speak to that. But there's one in particular that was a favorite of my dear mother-in-law, who's gone to heaven 19 years ago. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see him. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrows will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Just in closing, if someone watching this broadcast or listening to this message later on Sermon Audio or someone who may be here without the Lord, I don't know. The Lord is not subjecting you to this refining process. But rather there's a different kind of a fire and a furnace that awaits And it's a horrible thought, isn't it? Our God is a consuming fire. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. One day, the Bible says, His wrath is going to be poured out. And unlike our temporary trials on this earth, it will last forever. Now I think of people passing on, thought about it this week. How is it with their souls? How is it with their souls when they leave this scene of time and go out into eternity? How is it with them? It's a fearful thought, isn't it? To go out into eternity without Christ. But I'm glad there is one who suffered the fires of God's judgment for us. He went through the fire and the crucible and the testing. And he came out victorious the other side. He has obtained for us eternal redemption. And his mercy is free. His grace is free. And we can come to him simply today by faith and say, Lord Jesus, take my sins away. Make me a new creature in Christ. Help me to follow after thee. Take me to heaven when the time comes. And the Lord will do that. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. May the Lord do that work in hearts today.